We had a few technical and physical difficulties, which we have since resolved. Uh, we were asking the question, well, Chris asked me the question, what, um, <clears throat> what is history? No, uh, <laughs> he asked me the question. Um, what is uh, esoteric? <laughs> what is why? No, uh, he asked, uh, oh, what? Oh, geez. Now I've forgotten it completely. Oh yeah. Um, can we forget stuff? And the answer is yes. <laughs> so if the archives destroys it by accident or something and it has happened or the archives doesn't get to it in time or lava covers it over or, um, but we have certain ways of going around this. We have redundancy. There's that seed bank in the Arctic, which keeps everything, you know, all the seeds that we find in nature. So if we lose a plant, we can reseed it, which the is the one that Bill Gates owns. Does he own that? Well, I, yeah. <laughs> man aside, it's a, it's a, it's a worthy venture. Um, well, maybe there's more than one. It might be, me. but, uh, the, you know, if a server with, um, all the data to a very critical study just poops the bed and, uh, does just, just the power goes out and, or, you know, uh, the building collapses around it and the server just gets smushed. Um, the, this sort of harkens back to our preserving interactivity video where we discussed your thesis. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to point that out for a quick shout out. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I had to sneeze there. Um, but yeah. I didn't, which I figured is, I'd, I'd fill the, uh, fill is, the air. This is painful. Okay. So, <laughs> Now this goes into the, the obvious question to all this is what does it matter? Uh, which is really what you got to answer with any piece of writing or um, any argument, the, so what question, uh, which kind of brings me to another quote that people might remember, um, which is history's bunk, um, which is uh, Henry Ford famously said that uh, early 20th century uh, when asked about, um, what he thinks about history. He's like, ah, history's bunk. Now he was probably saying that in a fit of contrarianism or just because he was annoyed by the questioning, but it was remembered and uh, a lot of people took exception to it. Uh, specifically, uh, my grade nine or 10 history teacher quoted this to me. and was like, it's not bunk, I swear. And then, you know, he's trying to teach a group of uh, 13, 14, 15 year olds to, uh, that Canadian history is worth learning, which is, um, it's, it's, it's Why an up say that, like what prompted it? Do you know? I, he just kind of started with it. Um, <laughs> I don't know where somebody would get that insane idea. <laughs> well, he, I think he had heard it in a class before. It's like history stupid. He remembered it from things. So he wanted to make it interesting. And he did a, he did a pretty good job, um, for a rural teacher. Uh, and he had an uphill battle too, because teenagers famously don't care about things. Um, mm. I don't really need to get into that. If you no, if you don't understand knew? that, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, um, and this goes into the you know let the past die uh, idea, because like oh history's all made up. Why even learn it if it's all made up? And you get these these there are people actively working against history out there because it doesn't suit their political needs because it's uh, uncomfortable because it triggered them or whatever. Uh, history will is 
ghastly. Um, Let's like, say we were to like, just for the, for the purposes of this channel and the discussion, mm-hmm. if we were to make the best possible argument for history as bunk, what would that be? What would that look like? Well, there's some pretty good ones out there. Um, I'd say a good one would be um, it's all interpretation and thus every time you look at history you're going to be looking at it differently it's going to say something different which to me is obvious that's why you go back to a poem and read it more times so you can get a new interpretation of it because every time you read a good poem something new comes out of it and it's the same with history um you get something new out of it you learn something but i don't need to learn anything i have the skills that i have and that's all i need blah 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 it's like oh well cool but uh you're missing out <laughs> so hubris basically ego and hubris yeah from our yeah from our perspective it's ego and hubris i don't need this i just anything written before 1998 is you know all racist or something um and then it's only an interpretation we don't know the truth so there's no point in even looking there um which is defeatist at best um in my mind so i don't have much respect for these people um i'm sorry <laughs> if you are yeah i'm sorry I, uh, I, i've just never argued with somebody who's made that claim so i i've never heard the good argument for it um the other is that it doesn't matter you can now this i actually have some knowing history i, I find this to be an interesting one because imagine you're a peasant working your land all your life just like your parents did and you don't really need history because all you want to do is farm your little plot of land and have your kids and tend your uh, but pigs. how do you know how to like rotate crops and like plant them and you know what i mean like all the things you do actively as a farmer you learn it from history do you not yeah so this is where well, you get oral traditions which is different well a lot of an oral tradition is just literally history by it's one medium of history yeah, which yeah. people think it's all mystical because uh indigenous people did it but it's just you know uh it's another type that's all yeah it's a, it's a medium that's all and um it's one way of passing information down and we use it all the time uh, and anyone who says our society doesn't have an oral tradition. <laughs> Please and never, thank yous, wash your hands. Like oh, all they've never things. been read a bedtime story. Like they've never, yeah. tell me a story, dad. Okay. This or one's uh, to learn things like Jack and the Beanstalk. How to tie shoes. Yeah. And do it like this. Um, so these are, well, it's part of all our culture, but it's a part. And like, you get people like, um, uh throw and walden where he argues against the need for education and reading uh because you don't need it live simply and that means you don't need education and he, as much as i like that book that's like my my like throw i was almost gonna call you a master but uh even aurelius says that because we're going to die it doesn't matter so we um we don't education is folly I'm sorry, they're using um, snowblowers out there instead of a shovel because Edmonton seems to... Anyway, so if you hear any of that, I'm sorry. So this goes to what I kind of wanted to get to with this whole thing. 
uh, before we get to the end. That is really annoying. Why do you need a, it's like a engine on your back with a blower. It's like just shovel it every time it snows. So I'm complaining. That's all right. It's minus 33 here and it like freezes my brain. I can hardly. <laughs> so the thing about history is that it is all revolving around one one concept and that's the concept of memory um whether it be external memory like an archive or a book uh or internal memory like uh you know stories that we pass down in oral history or let me draw you a picture of what it kind of looked like um active living memory or uh, archaeological memory what uh, these forms of memory uh, are well the memory is at the base of everything that history is it's I'm sorry that that is really quite that's annoying. sort of the thing that history is though right <clears throat> yeah Jeez, what a waste of a job I'm sorry, this, this Edmonton is one of the loudest cities uh, I've been in. Everyone seems to need to be have their engine go extra, and I just hate it. I'm sorry if you're watching and you're in Edmonton, but maybe you need this more than most. Uh, my neighborhood's bad in the summer for, for uh, lawnmowers. Oh, if yeah. We've got a new one. They've all got those old, like, 1960s ones that are, like, four strokes and... <laughs> <laughs> okay sorry uh, i just lost my train of thought so um i know this sounds it might sound obvious it's like history is memory but um let's uh, i don't know let's dig into what memory is uh very quickly um so at its basic i'm not going to get into the biology of it um or how like thoughts are created but um we use memory to make decisions and to, you know, what happened there, how does that have an impact? But at the same time, um, it's the most um, ubiquitous form of information uh, that we have. So if there's a person, then we have a, then we have someone remembering something. And if they learn something, then they remember more. If they memorize something, then they have they are a living repository. I have all this here. This is all this, these books here are my external memory. I know what's in them because I've read them, but and I know how to get at them, but I don't need to memorize every book because I have a hard copy. So I keep my memory external. So I don't need to remember it word for word. But I, I know that. You know, if I pick up that book, I can switch my gears and my memory and start like explaining and quoting, blah, 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 blah. So this goes, you know, when you have more people, you can store more memory. But it's almost uh, more personal than that. Um, uh, so I'm going to go forward, unless you have anything you want to say about memory itself. Well, just to get back to that quote, if uh, if you don't mind, the Thoreau one on Walden. Yeah, I didn't quote him directly. What's that? <laughs> I didn't quote him directly, but kind of referencing. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, 
a lot of the time when when we do quote people it's sort of like in keeping with the whole memory thing that we were talking about it's it's kind of like a, a bookmark or a trigger for a grander scheme of ideas right i think quotations are a good uh, example of uh reta retaining our history sorry i'm having trouble speaking but... well it's, yeah it's like um it's like a it's not a it's not a, like a truism doesn't really do you much help but when it points to a larger truth mm -hmm. um so if i say um ilia acta est everyone's like okay what but anyone who knows it will be like oh it's caesar that time he was like at the battle of um zela and he you know defeated the the uh king of pontus and you know this and this and this happened and you know that if you know the story all i have to say is this one thing and you know and uh, mm -hmm. our minds do work kind of hypertextually like that uh I'll go back to episode one if you're we do talk <laughs> about that um but um so we do end up thinking in these ways and so quotes do serve that purpose unless you go that's nice i'd like that and then move on um <laughs> so um so a lot of our history is almost kind of like that eh in in the sense that uh, a lot of it is a quick trigger and then there's layers to the depth that you can kind of keep looking for but you need it to be there like somebody has to record all those detail details for there to be a deeper layer to look into right interpretation or or that deeper truth that well, the... that's why um we need historians in itself and that's a great point because uh and you hit on something there is because uh if there's no one recording it um then how we know what happened and then you end up having politicized histories and approved histories and uh you know like the um uh the ccp approved history when they're going around the europe saying you're not allowed to talk about the mongolians like this and they're changing like museum exhibits because of it it's like no that's that's not history history is yeah. history is not the approved it's it's the amalgamation of all these watchers now history also doesn't exist in the past like i've been saying this awesome but it, it it's part of what people think uh, at the, in the time. So if you're recording what's happening now, it's everything that happened before now, everything, even up to like a couple minutes ago and a bit into the future because of the expectations we hold towards the future. And uh, like, if I drop this pen in the future, it would hit the floor. So that's part of the history of the pen. It's mm. going to hit the desk. Um, if even I though even though the history is recorded with a bias, as long as we try and capture the bias as well, mm -hmm. you're providing, you're still providing knowledge, right? Right. Like it's and useful even though it's biased, as long as we maintain and don't scrub clean all the, right. all the details of the watchers or of the recorders. Right. So if we details. don't purge Nazi documents because they were, you know, Nazi, we, we can't know it. the knowledge needs to be destroyed for the safety of others. Like that person is dangerous. We need the Nazi perspective. Well, yeah. you, you can't, you, uh, you can't know. I remember I was on a battlefield tour of, uh, in Ortona and it'd be like, oh man, I was saying something like, I hope we get to see, um, 
some of the German perspectives. Someone's like, why? They were the enemy. It's like, well, what did they think of the unit that were coming here to follow around in history? It's like, oh, yeah. What did they think of the battle they were fighting against us? What did they think of uh, their, like, what were their circumstances that led them to do what they did in opposition to us that forced us to react in a certain way? So you need the good and the bad. You need to save everything. And that's, so when you get one person, when you get 40 people all writing a history of the same time, it's great. But if they're all looking at it from the same perspective, that's terrible. You need a bunch of different you need a voice, and this is where the diversity comes in. So if you read, you know, five different books from five different authors, um, then you get, you know, you get a more complete picture. And even if it's still kind of biased and you have your own present, you know, all these biases the postmodern kids warn us about uh, without knowing what the heck they're talking about because they they held a Foucault book once, um, <laughs> they uh, they it's like, yes, we can get a better thing and see how it, uh, how it happened, maybe get a better idea of how it happened. And it doesn't need to unveil some truth. Um, I remember I wrote a history once on Richard Parker and the spithead and norm mutinies. Uh, it was, Oh, it's, it's, go look it up. It's fun, but it's, it's really a small part of history, but I was interested in it. It was just, uh, Richard Parker, he was a, he was a seaman who essentially they were during the Napoleonic Wars, they were on a boat and they were, they were just getting sick and fed up with all their stuff. And he essentially led a mutiny, an unsuccessful mutiny of all the sailors at the, um, on this boat. And I told the, and I told the history and I told the history of how it happened and why and the unsuccessful battle that they had. And then the, 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 um, what do you call it? The, uh, the trial that he had after and the aftermath and everyone asked me, well, what's the point? I was like, well, I told you what happened. Well, you didn't like problematize anything. You didn't say like, Oh, this and that, or you didn't, it's like, no, I'm giving another perspective. That's the point. That's the whole point is that I'm telling you what happened based on what I saw in the, um, in the primary and secondary sources. That's it. That's all I was trying to do. And everyone was trying to make a big point of how this has realities or how it shows uh, toxic masculinity or how it shows that the British are actually a terrible people and should be shunned for their attempts at empire. It's like, whatever. All, that's, all that is bunk. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So... Um, to me, uh, the effect of finding out exactly what happened was part of it in itself. And it's comes down to, for me, the idea of memory. So if no one remembered that Richard Parker had a, that mutinied, uh, in, uh, 1797, I wrote it a couple of years ago, <laughs> um, and that it sparked, and that's one of the things that sparked the um, reform of the British Navy uh, and um, had implications for uh, long-reaching implications. If no one remembered who this person was, then you can ask the question, well, did it matter? Well, of course it matters. The tree falls in the forest. But the thing is that it doesn't matter if we know or not, it did happen. But 
as a sentient individual with my memory, I remember people and I remember what they did. And as a historian, I try and remember and push forward the memory of these things and these people that happen. And to me, that's part of it is this, um, this keeping that memory alive of as many as possible because we need a person likes to know that they will be remembered and this is part of having a healthy individual so part of doing history to me at least is out of a duty of respect because i see that there's immense value in maintaining this um so i wrote here that memory isn't essential is not essential but it's almost more important than air so we need that we live in a continuum of people and in when we die there's nothing there's nothing there and the only thing that will be left is the memory that others have of us and if we're codified into something at least some part of us will remain and that is very comforting for a lot of people and i don't really like that word because it's like oh it makes me feel better but it it's more than just comfort you gives your actions meaning if you know that someone will remember it if you know that it'll be passed forward into um the uh in the effect that you know that what you did was worth doing so it's more fulfilling i guess huh? yeah so a cynic um might say something like well then all that's solid is melts into air um which is a marx quote uh and with their right all that is solid does melt into thin air uh you become um i read nothing nothing lasts nothing things but we have this idea that um that we use memory as this you know it's just oh you know I'm thinking of stuff, but how we use it, we can use it intentionally. And history is part of that. We're using memory intentionally to remember these stories in the past, because for some reason we find that they're important to us and it isn't evident because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't fill your belly up. It doesn't give you more money. It doesn't do this and that it's a, um, it has secondary effects, which are very, uh, which provide that, meaning to all the things we do um so if you say something like oh it's all gonna fall apart anyway or nothing matters because all the gods are dead or uh all this and that well the thing is that you're still remembering that guy who said that you know god is told like <laughs> you uh you are still remembering this guy and he's had an influence in your life so to nietzsche's if we look at someone like Nietzsche's perspective that gives what his life did meaning it gives it purpose it gives it uh it gives it that longevity that you know you as an individual don't seem to think that you can acquire or have so it allows us to provide that meaning so you have this thing so someone will remember or it will have or um you work in a factory and you build uh i remember building windows and 
hoping that the person will kind of every once in a while we talk about how, you know, I wonder if who's going to use this window or I wonder this and that. Uh, I wonder if like you always wonder if they will, you know, you're making a window that someone's going to appreciate and they're going to be like, Oh, this is a damn good window. I like this. And (laughs) something like that. You want your thing. So that forward in time, when this thing that you've done uh, provides some good and it's as simple sometimes as just remembering. Um, And we do this every year on remembrance day, which is kind of a religion for my wife uh because of she um she serves so it's not a duty it's a um kind of beyond that it's something you need to do because an obligation right so it's an obligation that she feels she needs to do and i come and i do the ritual because it's a enforced remembering of that and the it's not um it's not free it's a responsibility so you go you put your poppy down at the cenotaph you sit there or you stand there for a couple seconds and you think about it and it's this act of remembering that forces you into that headspace of remembrance and that is almost a trade-off i'm remembering you And because I'm remembering you, I hope that someone in the same situation would remember me. Now, war is horrific, but we all want that. We all want to know that, you know, I'm just a car mechanic. No one's going to remember me. It's like, that's not true. Just because you didn't die in a war or you did some, uh, you know, um, tinkering job, it doesn't mean that you don't want to be remembered. Maybe he was a great mechanic. glad he started this and that gives what we do meaning even for the smallest tasks um and and it sounds like what you're saying and what you're getting at is it's it's intrinsically human yes like it's fundamental to our being and nature as a species and uh, as you know contemplative adults we just we have to have that type of significance attached to things right so before we relied a lot on and uh, i'm nuts okay this is gonna be a weird argument before we relied like i said um on the gods or uh some metaphysical we will pass forward metaphysically into a realm where we can look down and see what's going on and be like, Oh, look, they're remembering me. Oh, look, my funeral's so nice. Uh, that, or, you know, it's like this, you go to like Norse religion and it's like the, the battle you die in is only the first battle. And then we will, we will die. And then we will fight in the last battle together, you know, leaving Valhalla, uh, to fight, you know, uh, Loki and the gods of space or whatever. I don't have it in front of me, but, <laughs> so um or uh you there's this natural inclination that we have you go back to the neolithic and paleolithic you find like graves and you find um burial patterns and stuff like that and there's this national and this is a almost a, a pushing the dead into the future you know so, so that they have some they 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 maintained their essence and their being is maintained somehow into the future and before you know you put beads and you put some of their weapons around them and their hunting implements and or you they, face them to the west or something like right. that 
and these this is something that carries them forward and hopefully uh they uh in death they you know return to the the um the spirit of uh everything or you know you become one with the universe or you go to heaven or you um i can't think of any of the other ones um <laughs> so my brain just so we have this well, it's and- like that filial filial piety whatever the family in uh, like confucianism yeah they 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 have filial piety. i don't know how to pronounce it filial piety you're getting it right and yeah because yeah, that was very um it was very much along the same lines, though, right? Remember your ancestors. And a lot of uh, ancient societies had ancestor worship. China, um, Rome did. Japan, uh, Japan did. Uh, a lot of people discount the, the Roman one as well because they had the uh, the death masks of their ancestors in their foyers um, <laughs> with their like names underneath them with a candle behind them. And that was like a holy shrine. Like These are the uh patriarchs of this family household uh behold their deeds so um yeah go on sorry how would you find that ritual fits in with with that in the historical sense well ritual is um i should have had a definition of this in my head but ritual it's like a, a memory aid i'm guessing but like right. what I'm getting at is the, the practice of doing something like putting the the poppy on the on the grave and taking that three seconds. Like the ritual itself uh, serves to enhance the historical significance too, right? Yeah, and the ritual um, makes it it gives that important thing a sense of um, how do I put this it's a almost a uh a heuristic that we use in order to maintain that type of memory um so and rituals do this so you i i got married they, the whole marriage ritual and everyone's like oh the marriage ritual doesn't matter all you have to you know it's either you're married or you're not married which is after getting married that marriage ritual was um very important i was surprised at how important it was it brought my families together gave them it did a lot of things subtly that i didn't really notice brought the families together um it got everyone to know each other it provided them a space of joy to remember and go forward into so it's not like oh then they're married and everyone hates each other no no and you get to look better than you've ever looked in your life this (laughs) is a step forward this is a turning point so you, you you walk up and you walk back so it's symbolic but the symbolism is rooted in reality um so we do r- rituals for a reason and at the risk of sounding structuralist it had a lot of uh, things that it did that i hadn't noticed until it was happening um that's probably why it's persisted through all these generations too like i'm sure we're not the first to think as kids that marriage is silly and then finally realize as adults how <laughs> how it brings like you said the families together and it provides memories and yeah and you, you start from a and it kind of like if everything goes well and smoothly, then that's generally a good sign because it means that the husband and the wife can work together long enough to not you know beat each other up uh, to form union. And if they can work together on a, uh, on a on a wedding, then they can probably work pretty well together on a baby. 
or <laughs> a, you know, a family business or whatever. And cause they're going to need to work together a long time. So this is like a practice. And so for something like remembrance day, we go up and we practice remembering, which actually brings us to a place of remembrance. Um, so we, we sit there, we're going to have a one minute uh, silence where we think about this and, you know, we, we, we pretend to think, and then in so doing, we actively think. So everyone, you know, so it's kind of a trick we learned accidentally. Um, and then for the rest of the year, every time you think of Remembrance Day, you're remembering a time where you sat still and did the remembrance. Like you're remembering the ritual from all the times that you've done it. Kind right. of Right. And so wait, what if I did that ritual with, you know, some of my other studying? You sit down and you think, and you're like, whoa, I thought of something cool. Well, I did that. Uh, so you like, it's, you, you think about it. So history itself, I'm not saying history is a replacement for tradition, but I'm saying it, we should be putting more focus on it because um, I would want to be remembered and I would want um, as many people to be remembered as possible. And I think that would because everyone's saying, oh, what do we do now that Nietzsche killed God and all this stuff? We have, you know, secular, uh, which is such a dumb thing to say, but secular life uh, means that there's no rules and there's no gods enforcing them upon us. It's like, yeah, but you still have to live with everyone else in society. So, yeah. you know, our, every our, time a parliamentary procedure happens, it's all ritual. <laughs> right. Because they need to play nice. And if they don't play nice, then the rest of society is going to be like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the thing is, is that like our people, you need gods to tell you what to do. You're like, I'm so high and mighty that I can't like, uh, I can't, you know, let other people tell me what to do. I'm free. It's like, it's not freedom is, but like you are, everyone's assuming that they need a God to tell them what to do. It's like, no, even if there is a God, he's probably looking down on us going like, dude, I gave you everything you needed to know. I'm going off to do other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so um, whether or not there's a God doesn't really matter um, because, and whether or not there's an afterlife doesn't really matter. Um because what we do here does matter. You can create suffering with your actions. You can try to alleviate suffering with your actions. Uh, and that doesn't always mean working at a soup kitchen. That doesn't mean donating to charity, which is a cop out. Use your hands. No, uh, if you're a janitor at a school, it means cleaning the floor. Right. Doing your job, but like, I'll, like, I'm not saying like, do your job and do it happily. It's like, well, if you're not like, I remember being a janitor. I was like, oh, man, this sucks. I need to get an education. But <laughs> if you're a janitor and like, you know what, this is an okay job. I like it. Uh, like, I get to talk to people. You know, no one really bugs me. Uh, yeah, you can there's work some dirty you. aspects to it, but there's bad aspects to every job. So, yeah, it's um, just a personal preference thing. Right. So, and then, you know, the guy gets into a car accident and all the students are like, oh, man, a janitor. <sighs> sucks that he died because he was he actually was a pretty cool guy and for a time people will remember him for what he did and you know even though it was just cleaning the floor and you know but he was remembered also for probably being a good guy and that also acts as a uh kind of a deterrent so you you think of history as you know memory and it's like wow jordan was such a jerk because and this is kind of where i come at from uh this is on a personal level this is kind of where i come into this is um 
in the end, the only thing that someone can say about me is whether or not I was good. And this doesn't mean like kind or nice. It's like, was I a good person? Mm. And not how well you did, but how good you did. Well, even that, did I do good? Was I like, if I was malevolent um, or, or if I was, uh, cheating or if that's I what was, I mean the, the difference between good and well well yeah would be how well you performed like how yes articulate or how intricate your fingers are if you have a finesse job but like good is intent and heart and spirit and effort and right all that kind of stuff. so this comes from my youth when I uh I remember watching this show and I've mentioned it before I might do a like personal stream of it and be like, you guys need to watch this. There's this one scene in this show from the nineties called Babylon five. I've mentioned it before where these historians are sitting around talking about the hero of the show hundred years after he's dead. And uh, they're saying like, Oh, he couldn't have possibly done all those things. It's, it's, it's in ludicrous to assume that he didn't have help. And they're just being cynical about it. And they're saying, well, you know, I think it's just a cult of personality around this guy. And like, you've seen this guy do his thing and how kind of guy he is going through all these trials and the, his wife comes in she's just this ancient, ancient woman. And she just goes and she looks in the eye and she goes, he was a good man. And then leaves and it's it's very powerful and they're like whoa, whoa you're actually you're actually her you can tell us all this stuff and she says well you speak only to hear yourself speak you're not listening you don't want to listen you only talk to talk you say nothing and that was very powerful to me um because i can build a bridge but the bridge will crumble or they might replace it i can i i can start a family but my great-grandchildren might forget me the and they'll forget all my little deeds but what matters seems to be to me at least falls along that lines was i a good man was i a bad man and that's about all it can be left over after that and then from there, you can increase the complexity. Well, he was a good man because he was, he did this and that, but, 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 but the thing that'll last will be, were you good or not? And to me, that drives a lot of my actions. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm going to be nice all the time. In fact, far from it. Um, I'm not going to let people take advantage of me. Uh, I'm looking at you, um, previous landlord um so and countless employers <laughs> yeah, well some of my employers were not all of them i said countless i know well i had a lot of jobs but uh yeah <laughs> a lot of my uh early employers were spot on correct about my uh youthful uselessness um, but i need i had a lot to learn in my uh, teens and early 20s so the the thing is that um, when we think about it like that, we start thinking about how can I make a difference? We've already started that as a society. How can you make a difference kind of stuff? But it's, it's cliche, especially when it comes from a, you know, TV advertisement, some corporation, what are you going to do with your blah, blah, blah. It's just like disregarded, but we can ask ourselves these questions. And 
so we can think about how we can exist as a piece of history uh, in ourselves. So you are leaving a memory, a record of memory with it, which is the memory that, uh, so when you die, you leave that, those like objects and papers and information that is left over. Uh, and as time goes on, it gets scattered. The context gets removed because, you know, this thing goes over here, this thing goes over here, this thing goes over here. The, your apartment or house gets sold or to somebody else. Um, people move away. And you want to know that you left some sort of record, some trace. And why Can is it? Can you explain that, though? Like, yeah, what is on. that drive? I mean, we, we keep going back to how people want to be remembered and yeah what is that is that like just part of our nature that makes us more um more proficient as as a species like does it make us more evolutionarily adapted to the world to have that type of predisposition for remembrance or maybe um i think Part of it is that because we live in a reality where time exists in linear fashion. Uh, don't if you if you don't like that, leave it in the comments. We'll have a conversation. But um, it does exist in a linear format. Uh, even whether or not time is an illusion doesn't seem to really matter at this point, and it didn't matter for our evolution uh, because we existed and we evolved along lines that made us exist more effectively in a universe that or at least in a in a place where time was seemingly consistent moving forward at a uh, consistent pace and because we live in that and we we, we, we the goal of um, the organisms that we were was to pass on its genetic data as effectively as possible um, and I think a lot of that can be um, evolutionarily uh, explained, but it doesn't really explain everything because we, we evolved with a memory because, you know, you want to see, okay, the thing, the deer I'm hunting was right there. And I remember it being there. I'm going to have to remember its spot. So it sat down there. So because it sat down there and I have to remember it sat down there, it might go there, it might go there. And so I'm going to go around here. And if you, by the time you go around to the other side of the tree to stalk this deer that you're hunting and you forget where it was, well, you're a bad hunter. So you need a certain amount of memory. Now we also used to pass on that stuff. So you, you have evidence of oral tra traditions um, where you get um, learning through stories, campfire stories and all that stuff, passing on your traditions through a, narrative um sometimes an epic narrative using the technologies of rhyme and um song uh where you get stuff like um the stories of the iliad and all these ancient stories which seem to have been passed on completely orally and it's strange how easily you can learn a tune uh better than you can learn you know a prose narrative um which is one of the ways but the the goal, my affinity for hip-hop. Yeah, uh, which is actually, I wish hip-hop would take it more seriously as an art form. 
because it's actually quite clever when it does. Mm -hmm. uh, so the um, it is based on the fact that we exist in one point in history at a time. And we all exist in the same point in history at the same time, as far as we can tell. Um, so in order to move that information forward, we have to, we, 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 we create these traditions, we create this and that. Um, and we try to explain it through, you know, gods and this and that, and maybe they're controlling history. Maybe it doesn't matter if the gods are controlling history, then our fate's already, um, our fate's already determined. Well, fate and history kind of, uh, they're on the same page, but I kind of, if you're going to look at one, you kind of can't really pay too much attention to the other because, well, if there's fate, then why am I even trying to teach you history? Well, even if there's fate, you still have to do the math. And <laughs> so uh, that's kind of where I sit. Um, Can I ask you one other question then? And forgive me if we go a little bit off track with this, but you've really piqued my interest. Um, we've sort of outlined and defined how historical contacts and references help us moving forward. Mm -hmm. And we've also covered how individual people want to be remembered as being good, generally speaking. Well, good or capable or whatever they value. Yeah, like a positive sentiment from their passing. People want to want to be remembered, right? Yeah, or like I was the most terrible conqueror on the planet yeah <laughs> so I, I guess i sort of just want to ask you quickly if, um if there are groups and and colonies and you know there are societies of people throughout all all the ages who have subscribed to some form or another of uh, uh theism mm -hmm. like religion or whatever and I think those two are tied, but it's hard for me to really figure out how, how history has a productive means moving forward in an evolutionary terms. Like it's beneficial to us as a species. Right. Do you have any thoughts or ideas on how a personal remembrance might be productively useful to future generations? Like, does it change people's um, feeling of themselves having come from somewhere special? Like the inherited good, like we don't like inherited sin, but people seem to like inherited. Oh uh, yeah, the sins kudos. of the father is a stupid. <laughs> is it, it, legally sins of the father is atrocious, and I hate that we bring it up. But it's quite similar to to feel like you want to feel good about, or you right. want people to feel good about you passing. So it's very my, similar, but yeah, that. my obvious thought would be to go to the idea of um, reincarnation, where you get a lot of people who, you know, it's like, oh, you used to be this or you used to be in the court of that guy and you used to be this, where in reality, most of us were peasants in the past. Uh, even if we aren't reincarnated, our ancestors weren't, were probably uh, both kings and peasants and slaves. Um, we're all descended from, you know, we aren't, we're descended from those who were able to procreate and not from like the god kings you know unless you're well half a third of humanity is descended from Genghis khan which is interesting but yeah. so there's an english one too where there was a king with a fat lip and that's how all like white people with the bottom lip that it sticks out that's where they got that from oh like probably in spain <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably 
<laughs> I don't know that one, but uh, it's an interesting story. But anyway, sir, what I, what I was sort of asking though is, do you think there's like some evolutionary benefit to having this need for for being remembered as a good person? Do you think it helps us as people? Like, I think it's a force that we don't really pay much attention to because uh, we have funerals where we all sit around and we talk about, you know, the person and we get together as a group and we have this. And it's, I think that signifies a lot of that. So we get around and we remember them like one last time and we push them off into uh, the black or whatever. And the, we sit around and we talk about them and we say this and that. And generally, if we are remembered well, more people will be at our funeral. Um, and it's easy to just be like, well, I don't care about that, blah, 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 blah. But it, for a lot of people, that's like, what do people will think about you after you're gone is generally something that hits really hard. Um, you know, it's something as simple as like, you're dead. They're going to see your internet history. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> and, but it's also... Um, you get, we don't, it, we think of ourselves almost irrationally as like, you know, if I do this, someone's going to yell at me and that's, I don't want that. But then if you think, oh, but then everyone will think of me as a evil for time and time again. And generally, um, I think that's probably a really healthy thing. Uh, it's usually probably a bad sign or a good sign that you need a psychologist when you say, well, if I did this, everyone would remember me, even if it was badly. I was the one who killed that guy or started World War One or shot JFK or whatever. Yeah. Um, like Gavrilo Princip was just a kid, uh, a really angry kid. <laughs> and he, because of the guy he shot, um, we all know his name. History will not forget him. Um, and uh, the same with like Lee Harvey Oswald or um, uh, what's his name? John Wilkes Booth. Like people aren't going to forget these guys for the evil they did. Um, and that is also a temptation. It's like the easy way. It's like cheating your way into history. Um, or you get someone like Guy Fox who thought he was doing good and now they burn him in effigy every year. <laughs> <laughs> so uh you don't really also yeah, he's have... remembered as part of the anonymous movement now yeah he started Irony, the... man it's so delicious <laughs> started the first uh hacker group <laughs> but uh it is we can't really the other thing is we can't control um what history does with us either um mm -hmm. you look right now where uh, a lot of people are claiming that all these people who did a lot of hard work in history are now it, their, their work is null and void because they are racist or something. It's like Sir John A. Macdonald was a was a uh, alcoholic. It's like everyone was. <laughs> You've seen pictures of those parties, um, but like, and yeah, he was a very pragmatic politician. But I don't think we like he did start something that has caused a lot of people a lot more um, uh, happiness than had Canada not been here, uh, fight me. <laughs> but, um, and I don't think we should be taking down or scouring uh, statues because of that. And that's, that's actually the next question I was going to ask you is with that in mind is how do you feel about Confederate 
monuments and public oh. grounds. Yeah, that one's that one was almost an easy question for me because I. Uh, well, I got to give you a softball every once in a while. Yeah, <laughs> I've been thinking. I thought about that one because uh, Confederate monuments, like it was the Confederacy. Like your system, your system of economics was terrible. Uh, your you 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 had you didn't have any infrastructure, um, and no, but none of your workers were. You know, uh, there was a lot wrong with it, and I'm like to not even brush against slavery. There was stuff wrong mm-hmm. with it. Now. That doesn't mean that a bunch of people who formed their own nation in uh, 1860 should be forgotten. Uh, But that doesn't mean we should be heroizing that. And I I realized that a lot of those statues were put up uh, during as a result, as a cheaply in response to the civil rights movement. But that also doesn't mean we should get rid of them because we can't forget that either. Yeah. Take them down because they are, you know, they're not exactly legit but put them up in a museum yeah like, why don't we move them so like no <laughs> why is it, why is it so black and white like take them down and burn them or do nothing and leave them in a in a school well this goes to i think this goes to the um the postmodern linguistical turn where if you speak it's kind of almost a magical thing if you speak evil then it creates the evil so if i if i use um like it's the whole thing with pronouns where if you use uh you know improper pronouns you're reinforcing something no no it's violence yeah it's violence but it's like a magic spell (laughs) and it's it's like you're using language and it's reinforcing a system of oppression it's like no it's not it's a word and you communication that's what it is so well if we communicated differently then we could have a better society it's like no if we stopped hitting people that we didn't like we'd have a better society (laughs) (laughs) like it's that simple uh well it's not that simple it's kind of like bentham it could be that would be better even if we gave everybody money they wouldn't be poor it's like oh bentham you're the best (laughs) (laughs) so um actually just happiness if we if we just gave everyone food and shelter and thing then they would be happy it's like "Mm, no it ended up being very much more complicated than that but it's it's a good thought um got us started on a few things uh but that's the thing you have these I guess that also gets back to Lippmann and his public opinion where, you know, all of a sudden this guy, you're looking for something to hate and then you find the statue. It's like, I hate this because why don't I have a statue? And there's a lot of resentment there. And you have these, I guess I keep saying these like uh, chaotic agents of chaos, like moving around, trying to shake the nest. And this is also part of the, you know, let the past die because it's this evil thing and you want to destroy it so that you can have your own story present. And I, I feel like this is part of the same thread. You want to destroy the past. So your, or the people that you think are important are more representative. Well, what you can do is just write a history instead of destroying uh, yeah. that, which, or an know, essay or something. Yeah. yeah. Why would you even write about America? America's so racist. Just like, dude, people live there. <laughs> So, like, well, if they're suffering, people are dying every day. It's like, what? <laughs> are they really? Yeah, they are. But, like, I think you're projecting. So, that comes back to um, history not as a 
like merely a force of remembrance, but it's also as a vehicle of truth. If it's, if it's fantasy, it's not history. It, now you can write fantasy as history, like Tolkien or, um, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis or something like that, where you, you write, uh, George R. R. Martin's good at this too, where you write a, history of another place and often these stories tend to resonate a lot more with us and Tolkien essentially said it's because I'm writing history I'm just writing history in you know a fantasy world and that's why it resonates because this is how things progress it's not like it's not a straight hero's journey uh, it's the acts are embedded within other acts with other actors acting in a continuum of action and that gives the story a reality even if it's in this place that didn't exist with creatures that didn't exist that um allow us to see people acting in a way that allows them they're acting in history they're not just acting with recourse to the story um so uh you get a story of something like there's a big bad and you got to go defeat it and you got to get your group together to go defeat it oh yeah we defeated it and now everyone lived happily ever after but happily ever after is still history Half happily ever after is history still going forward and what happened before that is also important which is why people just keep going because the further you dig into it there's mysteries and there's a history and go read the cimmerillion and there's everyone's acting for a reason and they have their things which is why people read these stories but beyond that so we have these stories that um people tell each other that exist in the continuum of history uh, in the actions that you know people have taken oh yes sorry it was truth that so history isn't just the stories we tell it's it's the truth and it the whether or not you believe in truth um doesn't really matter because the act of trying to tell something that it's as true as possible uh is part i believe in what makes good history and what makes it um real it was what makes it real so it makes it more meaningful that's, that's yeah. yeah that's a good way of putting it because you know if you just tell a hagiography of say a pope or something or some guy or whatever then you're just telling a story but if you're telling you know a tale of a pope warts and all or you know you if you talk about your grandfather you know he was a he was a, he was this kind of guy he was kind of rough though like he would he would challenge you on stuff and uh it was he was a uh, he was a hard man to be around but you know what i don't think he was uh i think he meant well and like you, you warts and all like oh man he drank too much but you know it was my grandfather so or he, uh, these, you can't just look at it politically, you know, what do I want to say? What do I need to say to have the message? Because we need to alleviate suffering and oppression, blah, 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 blah. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> because, you know, if we are honest with ourselves, with our place in history and about those people that we're talking about in history, yes, your heroes aren't what you expect. Whoa, deep. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Obviously. But there's a reason we still tell heroic stories now history tells us something a little more and that truth is the thing that sets it apart you can learn more 
and you can learn a better lesson from a story of truth rather than from a story of you know what you need or think people should be hearing in all your hubris this is why a lot of times when you look at the old greek myths they're trying to express a lot of this so you get stories of perseus and theseus and they are not paragons of virtue they screw up they they end up uh, i think it was theseus particularly that ended up becoming a tyrant and the stories aren't just like and then theseus did another great thing and another great thing and then he started cheating on his wife and then he started being a tyrant to his citizens and then you know people started to want to kill him it's like oh wait this is yeah. a great story now um because the hero gets old and you know it's it's they're trying to tell some truth but it's not a true story it represents truth but history itself is supposed to try to represent as close as possible truth and even though you can't get to the you know perfect truth then uh it's the attempt that makes it more of a useful story so it's like the pursuit of truth the action or the process of chasing something that's impossible to catch Right. And it needs to be constant. It's a and red queen I think queen those things should scenario. be separated too. Like truth with a capital T being like immutable laws of physics truth. Yeah. And truth with a T, not to say that they're equivalent, but they're, um, they're translations of each other. They're yeah. versions of each other. So those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. It's a, that's a truth. Mm. Whether or not it's true, you can, you can, you can, you can twist that around to make it uh, true or false in any situation. Well, look, now there's no more, you know, this guy died. So now he can't be president again. It's like, yeah, it can't physically. (laughs) So, um, but like we do need a, like, it is important to have stuff as boring as like a proper reckoning of which emperor came after each emperor and how they, you know, did what and, as as best as we can know but it's and then like the awareness of it too just knowing that there are people of a certain um i don't know way like knowing that there are psychopaths even if there's only one in a thousand knowing that they exist means you don't trust everybody blindly like it's a it's a useful thing to know that things happen sometimes yeah and like oh that's interesting. And like you, 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 a lot of times this a historian will be like, uh, oh, it's like that one time because they've seen that stuff in history. Uh-huh. Um, you see back. And that's to- what we mean by experience. Like when we right. pay people for their work experience, what we're getting at is all those little situations that you get from time and exposure, not right. based on how great your education was or how great your memory was. It's experience of time itself. Like, yeah. And like I see trends in our society that happened before in history too like um bell bottoms <laughs> yes terrible no uh the gators are coming back you're gonna see a lot of blouse <laughs> pants no um the um the uh the trends because we are human so you get you know you get stuff like uh people have talked about gender stuff before in history this isn't something we're just discovering this is hey we've talked about gender and stuff 
all throughout human history. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What happens when women are in charge? What happens when men are in charge? People have talked about this all the time. Like I said, in the I think it was the last episode we did uh, between the Optimates and the Populares in Rome, where um, this is essentially populism versus arist, uh, aristocrat aristocracy, which came up again in the 18th century, in the late 18th century, where you get, you know, the people who want their, you know, inalienable rights. And then the aristocracy who's like, we just have always been in charge. We're chosen by God to be in charge. And even nowadays you get, um, you get labor movements versus uh, those who control the, uh, what do you call it, means of production or whatever. And it's the same story over and over again, because these are things that humans do. Um, and especially if you go back to some of the debates around the um, French Revolution, they sound very similar to a lot of the extremist rhetoric on both sides that we're hearing even even today. Um, and the, the reasoning and, and, and the way people are arguing and to look at that, you say, okay, I don't want to fall into these traps. Now, not everyone needs to be a historian. So the point of this whole conversation is that you know why it's important for there to be historians and for there to be memory institutions and for us to remember things. Um, and sometimes it's just good to know that, oh, you know what? There's historians out there. It's good someone's remembering it. Oh, my... I'll still be in the archive when I'm dead. I'll be in there. My story will be in there because, you know, uh, I've got all my archives together and they're going to be taking and preserving it and I'll be in there if anyone wants to look at my stuff. And that's, that's comforting. You know, somebody, an archivist or a researcher or historian or even someone who's curious is going to come across part of your story, which is... Uh, you know, it, it feels good. It, it, and you can move on and know that that's something that someone else is taking care of, maybe. Um, As a publisher myself, I can sort of concur with that sentiment. That's very much a big part of it is just uh, like to leave a permanent record to show that you were there. Yeah. Um so I did want to get into some, I think I've made, um, so history I kind of exists in the, in the future in that we have the knowledge and we don't have to get it again. We're going to pass this knowledge onto the future, but we're also going to pass on our stories. It exists in the present that it gives insight into our lives. It makes us better and wiser, and we can learn almost the easy way. Uh, or we can consult it as we would consult a, uh, you know, elder. Uh, but these elders don't need to be alive because they left us a lot of their wisdom. And so, you know, it's like, oh, I go to a, you get people talking about shamans and elders and all this stuff that when they're the, this ancient knowledge revival, but we have this ancient knowledge. Historians and archivists and people who have seen the value in memory have been keeping it and we have it go read it. It's like, and everyone who rejects history uses history. They all speak and language was developed historically. Yeah. Contextually it, relevant to person's actual time that they're living. And like English sounded totally different 400 years ago. Yeah. Shakespeare. You know I, mean? I don't know how you did it, but yeah. you, you, you darn well did it. <laughs> so, um, 
And this also exists in the past, obviously, because uh, that's what we're trying to remember. And the past is everywhere before now, including part of now, and now, and now. <laughs> um, and part of that is to honor uh, those of the past so that we in turn may be remembered ourselves. Um, we remember those in the past in the hope that you know, kind of a give and take. I'll remember you. I hope someone will remember me because this is what I would want. This is some golden rule stuff here. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And this is why we do Remembrance Day. This is why we have these rituals because you want them to do this for you. So you do it to them. And this is not selfish because those that you're remembering are worth remembering. And it's also sort of like an example for them to know their own duty and responsibility moving forward. Mm -hmm. like knowing having Remembrance Day sort of tells us, look, it's incumbent upon us as young fit males to go to war if somebody invades our country. Yeah. Defense we have to defend it and defending that's the against they set. a defense of an unjust uh, attacker is a just use of violence. Mm. But Remembrance Day also reinforces the fact of how horrifying it was how yeah. terrible it was and the military does this so that we don't spend their lives frivolously and this remembrance serves a massive huge purpose and i cannot stress remembrance day enough it's one of i think our most important holidays um or uh rituals that we do in our modern society um which actually brings me to another uh, thing I wanted to do. I kind of wanted to, I have an idea for another podcast on um, the modern religion that's forming. Um, and I, it's, 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 a, it's like a couple months away, but I've been thinking about it for a while and I, I kind of want to get scintillating. into it's, it. It talks about like stuff like that. Um, and I get into Jedi and, and science fiction as well as like uh secular gods and stuff like that so I, i'm working on it. it's not birthed yet but it'll, once it comes out it'll be a good show now um i think i'm kind of nearing the end um but there's one more thing i want to talk about that's going to be a little weird is the um kind of the uh teleological aspect of history now as far as we can tell nothing survives history so what's the point of keeping history well the present obviously the ones that are for us the living um as uh i'm quoting um i think that was lincoln oh boy that was a gettysburg address wasn't it i can uh, look that up if you yeah, like thank you um so uh i should know that but um if i feel allow me to get a bit metaphysical here the end result of history uh what is the ultimate use of this so i don't know let's let's have a little thought experiment because my thought is, is that um if we keep as many of our voices and our names and our stories and our knowledge together and we preserve it my thought is we preserve it even past when humanity needs it or is there send it off leave it for anyone anything that comes after or leave it as a, a cenotaph or a monument to who we were and the more complete 
and the more the better we do the more um i don't want to say value but more important that that monument to who we were was or will be because we can't know what's going to happen and we don't know if we're going to survive a century three centuries we don't know what's going to what we're going to evolve into in 50,000 years um uh going back onto another quote i made uh earlier who knows in 40,000 years there could be only war but um the idea is that we're building this thing that's bigger than us and we exist as part of a society and when it ends what are we going to leave behind um and what will be left a lot is what our memory institutions have done and if you want to leave nothing that's your prerogative but um part of what i see personally the value is is of maintaining as much as we can and making sure that there's at least something to remember us by um i don't cast it off into space uh giant repository of knowledge left on what's left of our home world or outside uh, the orbit of our solar system once the sun expands beyond or uh, send it off after the sun explodes cast it out in the stream of interdimensional uh you know whoever wants to download it it's out there i guess who it's knows sort of the way i look at it though is evolution is never with intent like the platypus didn't develop a beacon and, and flippers because it wanted to, you know what I mean? So as long as we keep preserving history as best we can, we will evolve as best as possible, I think. And it's sort of relevant uh, or related to the, uh, uh, what you're saying about like the mystics and shamans. Usually those are people with like mental disabilities, but were untreated, not like, not like full fledged, disabled but people with dysfunctions mental dysfunctions like they hear things or schizophrenic or right but sometimes they were the having, keepers of the they were the keepers of the memory and the keepers yeah, of a lot the, of them were the shamans because they weren't able to work as well but they were really good at hearing voices and directing the public spiritual needs right mm -hmm. so um having one schizophrenic out of a thousand is great for a population because it gives them a mystic and you don't want everybody like that, but you do want a diversity and a variety in a population. Right. And I think history is kind of the same way. Having a bunch of different truths, even if some are truer than others or more accurate or more useful than others, is sort of irrelevant in the grand scheme because in the grand scheme, you want as many varieties of truths as you can get yeah. as accurately as possible because to well, me that's what history is all about it's the some of the truths of are the same truth from a different perspective yeah you know, yeah from the and others. a lot of them you can throw out but like you keep them anyway because in 200 years maybe that's the one reference that like makes everything come together like you can't right predict how well, useful the other thing is that sometimes it's a thing um well i guess we go back to uh back to poetry i guess a thing of beauty is a joy forever um so this is uh i'm quoting without knowing so i think this is um endymion from keats let me just make sure and beauty is a joy forever is that what you said yeah 
Okay. So you get this idea that, yeah, so it's from uh, Keats, uh, the first stanza of Endymion, which is a poem. So a thing of beauty is a joy forever. And sometimes the beauty of a thing is the worth of itself. You know, it doesn't have to have a practical purpose. We grow flowers. Well, why? Because they smell good and they're pretty. Do you need anything more than that? Well, they take carbon out of the app. No, 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 no. They're flowers. They're beautiful. That's it. That's yeah. all we need. Um, they're good for your mental health. Like, well, you're, yeah, measure, but it's true. Like things that smell good and taste good and whatnot are like good for our brains. And the things that we love, we, um, we push forward as culture. These are the things that we do as a society that work, that we love, that we find beautiful. We keep pushing Shakespeare forward because it has meaning, but also because the way he worded them has a beauty intrinsic to itself. And we push forward, like, read this and you'd be like, that was great. I loved it. What did it mean? <laughs> and that's part of it. So in the chaos that we have as human culture, if we have a representation of it, it doesn't matter if the this religion or that religion was wrong or right. They still created things that are worth remembering. And even if they made a mistake, um, and even in the ugliness of uh, ty tyrannical regimes, it, by keeping that ugliness, we see the beauty of those things that are actually beautiful. And in remembering, it gives us that and it makes everything worthwhile. Um, Word. Even if we have to push it out into the ether uh, uh, in the last generation, then that's what we do. We sent out Voyager and pioneer because of these we put this is where we are this is who we were not because you know we think hey, come and come and talk with us you know because we know that by the time it does get to anybody we'll be gone and that's something that will remain of us um, just for the listeners the pioneer and voyager are the probes that we sent outside of the the solar system yeah with uh with like a recording or a disc or something like that with, yeah with a bunch, a bunch of, of our music like, and it didn't just have classical music on it. It had all these representations. It had, you know, different and, countries and languages. Yeah. And yeah. it had, it said hello in like a ton of different cultures and countries. And it was on a, it was on an LP. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and that itself is, has a beauty to it. So if, you know, you take, I guess I'm making, coming back to the practical from the end, if you take money out of um, these memory institutions, you are robbing your future for a dubious benefit in the present. And I think it's worth every individual thinking about what history means to them. And I would say to a lot of people, try not to be cynical about it because it's so easy to be like, Oh, it doesn't matter. No one's going to remember me, blah, 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 blah. I'm just, I'm just a small guy. History is only big people. And it's like, yes, big people do have a, uh, uh, overrepresentative influence on history and how history goes, but we all are also reacting as humans. Um, because sometimes you're just put in a position where you can make a big decision. Um, and 
the gravity of seeing people going through that before can help you with the gravity of that. And I think I'm starting to, um, I think I'm starting to go over stuff I've already talked about. Um, so I will leave it with that. History I'll just make, I'll make one final punk. comment before we close out. If you don't mind. Yeah, um, go ahead. And this is just my opinion, obviously, but I think it's worth mentioning because it adds, uh, it adds weight to the context of our discussion today. I think the freest people that you could possibly imagine in like a thought experiment would be somebody who's most aware of all of their options and capacities and capabilities. Right. The person who's most aware of all those things would be considered the most competent, generally speaking. And the most competent person being aware and knowledgeable would also understand the benefits of synergies and cooperation. And so they would be most willing and the freest person would be most willing to subject their freedoms for a greater set of freedoms, if that makes sense. It does, because freedom not as in I want to be able to do, but the freedom because So freedom have... isn't about accumulating as much for yourself. It's right. about wisely distributing your freedom and submitting to others. Right. I'm like, history helps us a lot with that because it's it's the thing that we use to Right. Differentiate. We give assent to our representative governments in the hope that they like we give up a certain amount of freedom uh mm. to allow them to do stuff. So I have the freedom to make decisions in politics, but I also have the freedom to give that responsibility up to someone else. This is not the Greek idea of freedom. Uh, this is the more of the Roman idea of freedom, the libertas. You are mm. free within the constraints of a society. Um, like a, a student sitting quietly in school, which I never did, but <laughs> when yeah. a student sits quietly in school, the education they earn is worth more than the right. freedom that they're submitting to in the, in that moment. Right. So you, and I think history is the thing that tells us what wise freedoms are to, or what is wise. Well, it's strange that when I coming freedom. back to when I got married, I felt a lot freer after I got married than I did before. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, Oh wow. Because you know, I gained more financial stability from, you know, being married, but that's not why you get married because you also have that, moral and emotional and psychological support of that person who's there and you just have someone there um mm -hmm. which is um which is priceless it, 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 in in doing that i increase my freedom uh, yeah, by having by to sacrificing share some of it you got more of it back. yeah so instead of saying this is mine and this is only mine i'm the only one who's free to use this <laughs> it's like such a small freedom yeah <laughs> but I, and it's I, I, very narrow-minded and like weak to think that way. Yeah. So. But yeah, I just wanted to make that note because that's that's what I appreciate most about uh, history is the the wisdom that it provides, the insight or the clarity of vision. Yeah. To um, make better choices and decisions, and that's what makes your life better. And the other thing beyond that is like, yes, history can be extremely boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yes. It's, I have a book. I think you gave it to me. It's um, the German army. And it's literally just a list of how the German army was logistically organized from 1939 Definitely to 45. Definitely wasn't me. <laughs> no, you found it somewhere and then gave it to me. And oh, I was just okay. like, I, I looked at it and I was like, oh boy, this is just data. And it's arranged. But sometimes you do need to go through the data to get uh, an understanding of how things were. 
and you like everything you need to put the work in. Um, but, but it's worthwhile. But it's worthwhile because history is not dates and names. Those are like what happened. Okay. Then you can say, well, what was the date? Who was Gorbachev and how was he interacting with uh, Yeltsin? Yeltsin. Yeah, that's, that's a good one because these people are important. You do need to know these names, but what they did was more important than just their name. Yeah. So don't think that history is just dates and names. You'll learn the it's dates and names when you learn the history. It's yeah, it's, yeah. it's engaging with it. And the more you engage with it, you'll just know the dates and names through engagement. Um, so don't be afraid to pick up a history book and don't be afraid to think about how your own life will be represented after. I think that's probably a good place to. Um, yeah, thank you so much for the spirited uh, discourse there. I really appreciate the conversation. I love the subject matter as always. It's uh, something near and dear to both of our hearts. I'll yep. just remind our listeners that we can. Uh, I'm Christopher Driver. It's Jordan Roy. You've been listening to Frivolous Gravitas, and uh, we have an RSS feed. If you do podcasts, it's ChrisDriver.com/feed/rssfeed.xml. Yes. And we have playlists on our channel. Um, what else? Comment, huh? like, yeah, subscribe, comment. help if, share. Even if you disagree with us, just... Especially if you disagree. Yeah, we, we're <laughs> waiting for our first downvote, but that doesn't mean like give us a downvote just because. Make us earn our downvotes. So. Yeah, loathe this shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like if you're going to downvote us, give us a thing. And if you're just contrarian, I'm just going to be like, eh. So... All right. I'll I'll see you guys next week.